For Mother's Day, I am going to again give the homily that I gave three years ago at my mother Polly's funeral. It was too long then, so I shortened it a little bit. Uh, it begins with an excerpt from my mother's memoir. First Dance. She wrote, That crisp late September evening, I walked up to the steps past two dogs named Ham and Jam, who in college lore were supposed to bark every time a virgin passed by. I remember exactly what I had on. I had chosen a midnight blue velvet dress with a lace collar, princess style, with a flared skirt that revealed just a bit of the knee. It had silver buttons down the front, and I knew it was becoming. I turned to meet the others to find the blue eyes of a tall, brown-haired, dead-attractive young man looking intently at me. My date was nice enough and a fair dancer, but we finally began switching partners, and I turned to find Chris looking at me with that intent gaze and quizzical smile, hand outstretched and saying in the most pleasant of voices, Polly, will you dance with me? Indeed, I would. That was when Mom met Dad. From There to Here is the title of her memoir. Writing it, she found herself frustrated that she wasn't a better writer. I guess she measured herself against Eudora Welty. Polly was a woman of exacting standards. She was not a doting mother, but she was an attentive one. Parenting from her came with clear directions and a feedback loop, which, as you may have heard me say, once arrived for me as a plate of spaghetti and green peas turned over my head at the dinner table. At the dinner table, she had some tolerance for back talk, but there were limits. True to form, she left clear instructions for this funeral. Homily by Chris, homily, not eulogy, she stipulated, underlined, meaning that I'm supposed to save the stories and wisecracks for the after party. Obviously, I'm on thin ice already. I guess you're thinking, poor Polly, one plate full of green peas and spaghetti was not enough to make him mind. Or maybe you're wondering, eulogy, homily, what's the difference? With Mother's help, I'm going to try to answer that this morning. With respect to her instructions, I'll stick to my belief that funeral homilies leave room for some jokes and reminiscing. How could they not? Karl Barth, a very serious theologian, believed that a telltale sign that a preacher doesn't understand his subject, which is God, is if the preacher doesn't have a sense of humor. In so many ways, Mother's life was charmed. She was born lucky in her parents, Charles and Bertie Murphy. She was lucky or smart in her selection of husbands, both Yankee gentlemen from Washington and Lee. Let's finish that story of her first dance with Dad. Yankee dancing was quite different from the El Dorado Hop. Never had I danced with anyone so smooth, so perfectly in time with the music, letting me get used to a simple two-step, leading me lightly but firmly, and then adding subtle variations, dips, and pauses. And I thought, aha, this is dancing. When 
the music ended, Chris said, Polly, you are some dancer. And he returned me to my uninspiring date. The poor stiff. As I mentioned, mother was a woman of exacting standards. Only my father, Christoph Keller Jr., and then her second husband, Clark B. Winter, measured up. She was fortunate, knew it, and was grateful. But she had a lot of children, and she lived for more than 90 years. And by the laws of probability, biology, and physics, that adds up to long and broad exposure to life's vicissitudes and heartbreaks. Trouble came early in adulthood. In the winter of 1940, she went into labor prematurely. She writes of losing her first baby. The tiny baby girl was born the next morning, and she never breathed. I was stunned and devastated. I had never experienced any real grief or loss in my young life. Chris, trying to comfort me, seemed able to put it, put it in a perspective not available to me. Faced with the classic problem of pain and evil, my gut feeling was that God must be crazy. She would lose two more babies, both girls. Embedded in that painful moment in her memoir, Mother puts her finger on the difference between eulogy and homily. Chris, she remembered, seemed able to put it in a perspective not available to me. That is an astute, insightful comment. Something was clearly helping Dad. She saw that. But this something was opaque to her. It wasn't the words of Christian faith. She knew the words, and they weren't helping. But something in, above, around those words had given her young husband a different footing in his grief. That something is what a homily should try to bring to life. What sense do we make of life when it turns painful? Religion aside, we have several standard attitudes available to choose from. Infamously, Lady Macbeth lashed out, Life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Shakespeare also gave us fatalists who maintained the opposite. The arc of life is written in our stars, so every moment is important, a sign of some sort, from a stubbed toe to a stillborn baby. Stoics, like Brutus, offered a third choice. We can learn to patiently appreciate the smallness of our place beneath the stars within the grander scheme. Those three outlooks are ever with us. The first one abandons hope. Down the second road lies madness. And for genteel Southerners, the third has been an attractive option. Polly suffered early from those lost children. Later, she endured her faithful blue-eyed husband's slow descent into dementia. By the age of 92, she had lost many dear ones. But she never lost hope. She did not go mad. And genteel she was, but never stoic. A Christian homily is the offer of an outlook in which an almost truth from each of those three perspectives 
that are alien to Christian faith is drawn up into a larger pattern, which is the Word. The Gospel is a story about God, who, Bart says it so beautifully, is never absent, passive, non-responsible, or impotent, but always present, active, responsible, and omnipotent. Never dead, but always living. Never sleeping, but always awake. Never uninterested, but always concerned. And even where he seems to wait, always holding the initiative. So the fatalists were right that life comes towards us, full of purpose. The gospel encompasses a world wherein physics, biology, and economics all unfold according to their own logic, generating motion, money, music, sound, and fury, often signifying nothing special. Our lives unfold within the union of those two opposite realities. The yield is a world, Bart mused, where people think and speak and act according to the manifest desire of their own hearts. And the desert is dreary and the night dark and the sea roars and honey is sweet and bread sustains and wine makes glad the heart of man. A world where there is a place for prosperity and adversity, victory and defeat, angels and demons, even human sin and human liberation. God is Lord in all these things, but in very different ways. Yes, our part is small within this grand scheme, but it is important. We play it out in trust that while we are daily at risk, we are eternally secure. This is not a simple outlook. It doesn't answer every question, but it is rich in meaning. It is reasonable, and it is holy. And in it, my mother Polly found her footing. Week in, week out, this is what we celebrate in church on Sundays. God's journey into history from there to here to help us secure our footing and broaden our perspective to strengthen us in love and faith and hope to lift all of us with Polly heavenward through Christ from here to there. Mother, I hope that's homely enough to suit you. The postman rings twice, they say. When Jim Theus said last rites for Mother Saturday, it was her second time to hear them in the last 12 months. Last winter, she cracked her hip and had an operation. Things went south. They called us in. At her farm, at home, we gathered round her bed, and I said the last rites. But I held back the final prayer, the one that begins, depart. Mother, I'm saving the last one until I know for sure you need it. Thinking that time could come at any moment, we waited for the end and all through the night. Meanwhile, down the road at my sister's house, her mother's grandson, Sam Bonzi, was entertaining guests, Harvard classmates who'd come south for a sample of the redneck high life, shooting cans and snakes and hunting hogs. This trip had been planned for months, and of course, Polly was all for it. But we sat with her bedside through the night. Come morning, she was still there. 
and she started breathing better. Her vital signs improved. And finally, she cracked an eyelid, looked around at all her children standing at her bedside. Well, she said, did Sam get a pig? <laughs> he did. So now it's time for me to finish what I started. Depart, O Christian soul, in the name of God the Father Almighty who created you, in the name of Jesus Christ who redeemed you, in the name of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies you. May your rest be this day in peace and your dwelling place in the paradise of God.